Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are continuing. It is March 27, 2022. And we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Thought of the week. The topic is self-righteousness. One of the largest distractions by far are those who would substitute their morality over God's practices. There is a pride that comes from their works. The root of this is, again, they're comparing themselves with others. They can clearly see they are better, wiser, and make better decisions than others. If only others could behave like them, they would be good too. Because they see themselves as essential good, then God must also see this as well. They assume that because God is good, purely, he will see that they are good too. They do realize that they are not perfect, but find it easy to excuse their shortcomings. They know they make mistakes and are always good, but certainly God must know of their heart of decision. The honesty and the integrity. They commend themselves for being far better than most. Again, they must have rejected the bad news. God has already spoken, anonymous in Adam can change his mind. There is none righteous, not even one. While they may be blind to their unrighteousness and depravity, God is not blind. There is none who does good. Not even one. So just reading this, um, there's a lot to say in this, but we had discussions on this early as a question to answers. So I just time it up third have to turn it over to the wife with prayer. All right, thank you very much, Steve. Um, are there any special requests for prayers? I know that we're gonna pray for our families and extended families. Yeah, we're going to send out a special prayer for Jewel as well. Also, special prayer for those among us who are sick, and um, uh, just for that. towards you, lead them towards you, attract them towards you, so that we can all find 
they and all of us can find comfort in in your revelation for us. Um, I pray for all of Word of Truth Church, um, those on this call and those who couldn't make the call as well. Um, may we be uh, attentive with the eyes of our hearts open to see everything that you are revealing to us um, in the, in the uh, beautiful detail that you have given us in the revelation. We thank you for the, the body of Christ uh, worldwide and pray for them as well including diligent seekers who are actively seeking those who are babes in Christ and newcomers to salvation, just understanding the reality of their salvation by grace. And even those on the fence um, who haven't quite made up their mind about what they want to believe in, um, we know that you continue to work in the hearts of all people. And um, we pray for success in that area. And thank you, uh, lastly, for your protection over us and for keeping us safe in this crazy world. Um, even while we're looking at intense uh, warfare in, in Europe um, and, and all kinds of crazy problems going in all around us, even in our neighborhoods, thank you for keeping us motivated and help us to be productive co-workers in your plan, even as we are sojourners in this world and citizens of heaven where we will one day um, be comfortable um, and exceedingly so in, in our true home. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dwight. Thank you, Dave, for taking care of that. Well, we're going to get right into our verse, which is John 17, 12, uh, although I want to pick up some so that we can keep the context before us. I'll start reading and then we'll get to verse 12. John 17, 1 and following. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. 
that's where we are, verse 12. And we're going to head to our notes and we're going to dig in. Hopefully, we'll see how this goes in terms of time. So, in your notes, little children <coughs> are so ignorantly innocent. Parents should be aware of this and keep a watchful eye over them. Children are not prepared to handle the difficulties of this world by themselves. We can clearly see this in the animal world as well. You should never get in between a mama bear and her cubs. For believers in this world, we have natural enemies as well. The world will hate the apostles and there would be religious persecution for them as they must testify of this new dispensation. Our Lord is very aware of the dangers and has provided guidance and protection. Now that he is leaving the world, his prayers for our security are proof that we live in a hostile and dangerous environment. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us safe in spite of our ignorance and carelessness of our hazardous circumstances. So, um, as I look at this verse, it does remind me of things that we cannot see are all around us all the time. There are evil forces, there are dangers that we are kept by the Lord. Uh, just, we should never forget that our safety is found in him and not in what we do and our locking our doors and such. And a good example of this is what happened to Job. And we're not going to read that, but we just want to note Job's world was turned upside down when God removed the hedge of protection that was around him. And then when the hedge of protection was removed from his body, Job was sick and all kinds of things happened to Job. Uh, and But God said, you can't take his life. And all of this was as a test. So we can see that God's protection, if it was over Job and all that Job had, his family, his possessions, um, we couldn't have anything in this world apart from what God has given us. So, as we think about how this world is and, and what's going on, uh, hold on a quick sec. I'm going to pause. Resuming. So, as I said, we have to think about that the Lord's protection, if it was on Job, his family and his possessions, and even his person, we have to know that God's protection is over us as well. And we are more precious. I want to say more precious than Job from the standpoint of, you know, God protecting human beings. But we're more precious from the standpoint of God's eternal purpose. And the disciples, God was going to definitely protect them. And as I said, we are God's highest priority since we are related to his eternal purpose. So we're continuing with, we're going to break this into phrases. Point number one, it was an honor for the disciples to have walked with Jesus. Uh, 
during his ministry. And this is Jesus saying, while I was with them. Jesus' presence with the disciples. Uh, as I said, it was, it was an honor for the disciples to have been chosen. And when we say that, they didn't just pick their presence. God the Father did. And John 15, 16 is a really good verse to help us understand that one point where Jesus says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, see, just the thought of that. We think we choose Jesus, really. And in this case, it was the, the disciples. Uh, there were many people who wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, he was a wise man. He was a healer. He said wise things, and, and people were intrigued by him, and people followed him. But Jesus is saying, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You know the fruit he's talking about here is the works of the Father, the vineyard that he planted. That's what the analogy bears out for us. So that whatever you may ask in my name, the Father will give you. Why? Because it's the Father's plan. If you're asking in the name of Jesus, you must be asking according to the Father's will. He's certainly going to answer that prayer, no doubt about it. So they were indeed chosen. And then point B, to witness all the signs, wonders, and various miracles was confirming and gave them confidence in God's direction. And, you know, I gave uh, a couple scriptures there. One is that one that talks about signs, wonders, and various miracles. People look at that as just some miraculous thing that God has done for them. But God did that really for his plan. He showed up because he wanted people to know what was the direction of God, which way God was moving. And it was through the church, obviously. So 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, it's, it's, it's another verse that is confirming for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we covered this when we went through the chapter. Verses uh, 4 and 5, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So when it says the demonstration of the Spirit's power, he's talking about the signs, the wonders, and the various miracles that confirmed that God was speaking through the Apostle Paul. And that is how we are supposed to understand whether or not we're following God or not. Are we following the supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles? that he left a trail for us to see. So, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. In other words, Paul didn't just talk us into some of the doctrines and points of view that he has. God directed Paul to say those things, and he is expecting that we follow Paul because our faith is not resting on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the most important point. Why? Because many people are trying to use miracle signs and wonders today to uh, misdirect 
the people of God. God has laid these things down for us through the apostles, and we ought to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's Jude 1.3. And if we do that, then what we're saying is we're following what God has revealed. And, and he didn't just reveal it by just convincing us. He did it in power. It was undeniable what the disciples witnessed. And they had, uh, as we we're going to say in point number C, even more than that, they had courtside seats to witness that others what others could only see from a distance. I mean, people clamored to be in the presence of Christ. They followed him. They said, where's he going to be next? And where's he going? We want to go there. We want him to heal uh, the sick. And also, people just followed him because he said things that were just amazing. And the disciples were there up front. They saw it all. I mean, imagine uh, to be a witness of all that Christ did. I got a couple scriptures here to point to. John 7, 32. Let's look at it. Um, let's see, 7:32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. So notice, they sent the temple guards. The temple guards were like Roman soldiers who were dispatched to guard the temple. And this is an agreement that uh, the Jews had with Pilate to be able to have temple guards to guard what they considered most precious to them. So the chief priests, they were under the chief priests' uh, authority and the Pharisees, and they sent the temple guards to arrest Christ. Right? And so watch this, and if we go on down to verse 45 through 47, we'll see what happened. So 45, finally, the temple guards went back to, you can read the rest when you have time. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? In other words, if we sent you to arrest him, where is he? Verse 46. This is what they said. No one ever spoke the way this man does. I mean, just imagine. These were the temple guards sent to arrest him. And they were enamored with the person of Christ and what he said. Like, how? no man spoke like this. What did, what did, what did the Pharisees say? Verse 47. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. <laughs> so, Jesus was somebody special. He didn't, his speaking, his wisdom came from God and people readily understood and the Holy Spirit was there attending his words, making uh, real to the hearts of those who were there. People saw Jesus. They saw him. They heard him. And even those who, who were sent to arrest him were taken aback. And they said the very things. No man ever spoke like this. We never heard anything like this. We, were gonna, we couldn't arrest him. Point D, we're moving forward. Special attention was given to the disciples. 
just imagine. So not only were they witness to uh, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, but they were also uh, given special attention. Like Jesus wanted to teach them. He taught them where the rest of the crowds were gone and it was just Jesus and his disciples. And he took time to help them understand. They could ask questions and uh, and the very discourse that we're reading in John from th John really starting at 12 through 17, this whole discourse, the disciples were present and they were the only ones present. It, many people wanted to follow Jesus. Many people wanted to be in that number, but that's a special group. And uh, this is, this this discourse is, is devoted to the new dispensation that is about to dawn. The disciples were being prepared for that information. So Jesus, all that while he was with them, he provided guidance. And there's another thought. I couldn't put it all down, but, but let's, we could keep going forward. I guess some of it will come out. Point number two. I protected them and kept them safe. So while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. Point A is while the disciples were unaware of the danger that was present and would come to them, Jesus kept watch over them. He, quote, kept them safe. And the scripture I have is Luke 22. Luke 22, 31 through 34. So it says, <clears throat> well, this is the thought here. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Notice, <laughs> Peter is talking about how he's going to talk about how he would die for Christ. Well, I can read it, but the point is, verse 31 says it. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Not just you, Peter, all of you. He wanted, he, of course he wanted Christ, but he wanted the disciples as well. But verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Peter's going to go through an ordeal. <clears throat> but when Peter comes through that, he's going to be able to go to the other brothers who are there and strengthen them. Verse 33, this is Peter's mindset at the time. But he, he replied, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and, and to death if I have to for you. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know, you do not know me. Well, let's read that again. You will deny three times that you know me. You will deny that you know me. That's the thought. Can you imagine Peter's face when he said that? I mean, for him to be declaring, I'll go to prison, I'll die, I don't care, I'm with you no matter what. And then Peter's going to say, that he doesn't even know Christ. This is before the morning. He, he wasn't aware of their emotional roller coaster that Jesus had been trying to tell him 
That's why our discourse is so important. Even though Christ warned them of all these things, it was more confirmation to them when they came to pass. So this is why this is a good verse to help us understand that there was danger, even that the disciples didn't even see. That was point A in our notes. B, they needed protection. And so do we, as I was relating the Job story. Do you think we don't have protection in this world? You think we're making our way, trying to be safe, driving at the speed limit, and doing all the things that we think is going to keep us safe? None of those things. There's far more machinations of evil out there planned for us, but they are thwarted. God does not allow Satan to take and sift us as wheat. Uh, as he wanted to do the foundation of the church. Imagine how, how much he must hate us. And yet, and we, we don't even have to pray for ourselves. God has prayed for us. We have Jesus interceding for us and watching over us and the Holy Spirit. So this is, as I said, this is God's highest priority. We have to know that we're not just out here on our own. And even though you can't see the protection around you, you don't know it, but it is real. And we're in this world, and this world hates us, and there's religious persecution. All of those things are real. And if we walk around here thinking that by our own power we are somehow sustained in this world, by how much money we got in the bank or what we're going to get every month or whatever we are, are confident, wherever our confidence lies, it is misfounded. It is only by the grace of God that we are here. That's it. None of those things will keep us or guard us from death or danger. Not in this world. It doesn't have to be just. It doesn't have to be fair to us. It is... Satan's world, and he will manipulate things so that he will get what he wants, if he has his way. But obviously, as I said, he doesn't have his way. So they need a protection, so do we. We have not only the teachings of the spirit of truth, right? We've got, he's going to enlighten us to what this new information is, but we have the guidance as well. And that's John 16, now built into uh, John 16, yeah, I'm going to read it real quick, is also guidance, not just teaching. Right? John 16, he says, uh, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, now we stop at this point, several times prior to this in our discourse, Jesus says, um, but when he, the comforter, comes, the advocate comes, the spirit of truth comes, right? Uh, when we see that word, uh, paraclete, in the Greek, it means another of the same kind. This is how Jesus is saying it. The same kind as him. Well, what kind was he? Well, he was someone who the disciples could look up to. They could find peace. They could find wisdom, answers to their questions. They, they could find guidance. 
where Christ said, let's go here. And, and when they wanted to go back, because uh, Lazarus was sick, I remember, the disciples chided him. They said, well, oh, so uh, don't you, you didn't hear what he said? Lazarus is sick, you're not going to go back? And then when, Jesus, when they heard he was dead, and Jesus says, okay, now let's go back. They were like, wait a minute. <laughs> so what? Now, we, now you want to go back? They questioned his every move. They didn't realize the guidance that kept them safe. Well, that guy, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another counselor, another comforter, like I, like I was to you. Even though I'm leaving you, I'm going to send you comfort. I'm going to send you guidance, direction, safety. And that was in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, as well. So being guided into all truth means that we're going to be going in the right direction down here as well. Sometimes that direction may lead us to suffering and persecution. That is so. So be it. But that is the guidance that we have in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So back to the context here. He says, um, he, he, this is verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So now notice this. He started off saying this. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, <clears throat> I'm going to continue speaking to you through the spirit of truth. He's the, he, will, he will take from what is mine. He will make it known to you. I'm going to keep telling you what's on my mind, but you can't bear it now. You can't handle it now. But when later comes... When the spirit of truth comes, when the baptism of the spirit happens, when all that happens, the filling of the spirit, the spirit of truth will take you, guide you, and lead you into all truth. So Christ is going to continue guiding and directing them, but through the means of the Holy Spirit. So as we continue our, in our notes, <clears throat> point, point number C, a quick look at God's purpose for us and his continued protection over us, come what may. Right? And so I know most people don't look at this as that. This is Romans 8, 31 through 39. We're going to turn to those scriptures. 8, 31 through 39. So let's just look at this in context. And remember, this, this is why we're reading this. It's just more importantly, why are we reading this? So it's a look at God's purpose for us, and not only that, his continued protection over that purpose and us. Come what may. So 31 says, what should we say in response to these things? Well, we got to go back and find out what things he was talking about in the first place. So it, it goes, we can just read back as far as verse 29, right? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he, he also glorified. What then 
So we say in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now notice, notice who loved us. For said the love of Christ. Now in verse 37 it says who loved us. Why? Because we are who Christ is. As he is, so are we. Uh, no, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him <clears throat> who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's security. It's not to say that we won't have those things happen to us, but no matter what happens to us, we are in God's hands. We are in his, the center of his purpose and his protection over that. Remember, we are God's highest priority. Nothing in all creation, as it says, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. <clears throat> so that's what we have to understand about God's overarching protection over us. And we're in this world, yes, but don't think that God's purpose in this world can be thwarted. And remember, Job lost everything. He even lost his sons and daughters. None of that is more important than God's purpose. We may lose our lives through persecution. We may lose our lives on the battlefield. But God's purpose for us will continue. He will, we, like it says, we'll be absent from the body, but we'll be present with the Lord. Death is not cessation of life. Death is the transfer from one realm of existence to another. And God's will, his word and purpose for over us will continue. No matter what, as I say, come what may. Point D in our notes. Our journey in this world is like our Lord's. So I'm going to read a couple verses. Uh, John 14 is our first one. It's like our Lord's, John chapter 14, 18 and 19. 
So 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. So when he says that, this is to say, remember, Christ says, while I was with them, I did this. I protected them. I kept them safe. He says, I'm leaving now, but don't worry. I know you're upset, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when I read this before, you know, I never, I didn't see it quite the way I'm seeing it. Because the way we want to see this is Christ continues to guide and direct us through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit takes the mind of Christ, reveals it to us. Remember, he's doing all of this, but he's not taking any credit for it. It's not his thought. He understands who receives the glory. He gets that. And his job is transparent in that respect. But it is Christ. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. In other words, he's physically gone. That's what, what, what while I was with them implies. Right? He's not here, physically speaking. He's not with us. But he says, well, he, he says in verse 19, Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Why? Well, because we are living in him. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We can't die. There is no cessation of life for us. As we think of death and we think of the body there, lifeless, unable to move and respond, that is not who we are. Once we leave that body, we are present with the Lord. We still have animation and life and consciousness, but in a new realm, in the heavens, in the home, our home in the heavens. So that's what he's saying. And then on that day, what day is that? Pentecost. You will realize I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. You'll realize it. You disciples who have been walking with me for three and a half years, you'll get it. It'll all resonate with you. Finally, you'll get it. You won't be asking, show us the Father. You'll know. You'll understand. Spirit will teach you that which you couldn't bear before, but now you can. So all of that will come true. But notice, Christ kept them safe while he was here. He's putting in them in the hands of the Spirit now. And he will also keep them safe. That is uh, the idea here. So that's John 14, 18, and 19. And then there's Philippians 2, 5, which is a short thought, but it adds to the point. Philippians 2, 5 says, <clears throat> In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So now... How can we have the mindset of Christ Jesus when it describes him as being in very nature God? How can we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? Hmm. Now, do we say, would we say that having the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus in his humanity? Oh, having the same mindset of Christ Jesus in his divinity? What would we say here? Because it mentions both. So it's neither. 
It's the person of Christ who has both natures. We are supposed to have the same mindset as him. Now, and we're talking about the divine nature. He had to, um, you had to take on the human nature and be made in likeness as a human being. He was one of us. Uh, he, he had to humble himself and become obedient to death, even though he's the Word. He's from eternity past. He's God. He's Theos from eternity past. He created all things. This is the person we're talking about. So it's the person who has two natures. We're supposed to have the same mindset as him in our relationships with one another. That's what he says in verse 5. It's about humility. And this lesson about humility gives us information we would have never had were it not for this lesson. It talks about the exaltation of Christ, how he went to the cross, was obedient to even death on a shameful cross. And what God did, he highly exalted him. Continuing in our notes. So, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. And point number three was, by that name you gave me. Let's, let's see if we can understand what that's saying. So, the first point is, by the name you gave me. Right? What name is that? The Son. See, Christ, he... He was given the name Son. How did he get this name? It, well, it was from before time began. And when they came up with this plan, the Father originated. The Son is the one who would execute it. But the Son is given all things by the Father. This is the plan, right? The eternal purpose of the Father is that all things would be given to the Son. It will be accomplished through the execution of the work of the Son. Not only the work that he was uh, given on earth, but he finished that work, but when he went to heaven, he continues to work, and the Father is calling out those many sons into glory, right? With his body, the fullness of him. It, all of that is happening as, as people are being saved in this age and baptized into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are a new creation in Christ. And that is uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. So this is happening through the efforts of those who uh, God the Holy Spirit has been able to uh, convince in them so to, to see who Jesus Christ is. And these people, what we are realizing, are those who were called in him before the creation of the world. So God knew who would believe, so he chose us to be in this time of the baptism of the Spirit. So it's, it's a wonderful plan right, as we think about it. So that's the name. So when he says the name you gave me, again, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Why do we say eternal? From eternity past, they had this plan. This speaks of the Father's plan in bringing many sons and daughters into glory. That's Hebrews 2.10. And point B is, just like what we said, we are God's 
highest priority, as we noted before, the creation of all things was for this purpose. It was according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So son, all of us, all of by the how do we, are we protected? Because we are God's highest priority. If God fails at us, then he fails the entire eternal purpose of the Father in creating all things. He would not fail at this. This is something he already saw through to the end. He knows the decisions, the actions of every person uh, that would ever be born in Adam. So he already knows all of that so that he knows the end from the beginning, as, as we say. So it's according to his eternal purpose. All of this would rest on the Son. He would be the, the very medium upon which he would bring many sons, right? We are being conformed into the very image of his Son, right? That's what the, our predestination, our lives are being marked out for that purpose. So when we were born, we didn't realize, but that is the purpose that was over our lives. Now, of course, God had to bring us through Adam, right? We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live, right? All of that. But then, as life came to us through our new birth, and, but in our, the Holy Spirit placing us in Christ, we began to develop the consciousness of who we are just like Christ did when he was walking this earth and he realized that he was that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He understood that. He understood his role and what he had to do. So it is important that we see it as well. Point C, since we are, quote, those God foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, we are like him in every way. So how are we like him? Romans 8, 17, that, that verse is verse 29, but, but Romans, I'm sorry, it's, 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 uh, it's, yeah, it's Romans 8 and 17. This particular scripture says, now if we are children, really it should be since we are children, he already told us we are children in the previous verses, so the if there means since, since we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. There it is. You're an heir of God. Just think about what it is to be an heir of God. What could that possibly mean? I mean, we have to start, I mean, just to think, he tells us more about what it means, but the idea is that's phenomenal. That is something that is beyond the pale of human understanding. That's not normal. To, to say that you were an heir of the creator, God, of, the, of all things, what do you get from being an heir of God? Like, what could you possibly get? I mean, we, we think about being heirs of uh, rich people on earth. Suppose you're an heir of Jeff Bezos or some, one of these super billionaire people. And you, inherit, you couldn't imagine the life that they have from all the money and means that they have, what that would mean for you. 
Wouldn't would you just say that just meant that you can continue your life as it is? You're an heir of God here, not of Jeff Bezos, of God. Jeff Bezos is nothing to God. His wealth is nothing. I'm picking on Jeff Bezos. But I'm just trying to illustrate some what it means to stop and think. You're a son. You're related to the Son of God. And as from the relationship that you have in Christ, you're not just an heir of what Christ has. You're an heir of God because of the relationship we have. that they may be one as we are one. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, says John 17, 22, step 21 and 22. So it says we're heirs of God. And it says, and we're co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, that means side by side. You mean, we, we could, we're not just under Christ somewhere down there, but we stand side by side with Christ to inherit the glory of this world, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. That is not necessarily what we were called to, to be in this world. I mean, Israel was called to be in this world. Israel, they're gonna receive rewards for service for being in this world. That is not what our calling is. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So our present sufferings, wow, that's the glory that we will get, the earthly glory. But there's something that goes beyond that. Something that goes not to just this world, but all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Let's continue in our notes here. So uh, that was point number C, right? Where we talked about those two verses, verses 17 and, <coughs> well, I went over, I'm sure. If I get excited, excuse me. But point D, recall, Jesus receiving glory not only depends on Jesus' success, but ours too. That's John 17, 10. We covered that a few weeks ago where it talk, Jesus said, and glory has come to me through them. In Ephesians 1, 23, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we're part of, so whatever role Jesus has, we have. We have adopted that role. And that is our, you know, this speaks of the Father's plan. Son speaks of the Father's plan. Everything, the disciples being chosen speaks of the Father's plan, eternal purpose to bring many sons into glory, that they will be the founding of the church, the foundation, along with Jesus and these apostles and prophets. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That's the foundation of the church that Christ said he would build. On this rock, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the rock. He says, I will build my church. And how do we build the church today? By believing. And so what did God do? He gave us to be ministers of reconciliation. That we can go out and tell people that God is not counting their sins against them and that they ought to be reconciled to God 
doesn't cost him anything. It's just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can receive uh, his righteousness on our account. So this is, uh, this is astounding as we think about the plan and who we are in the plan. I can't, I've, I could have never invented this. Of course, arrogance could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm somebody, I am somebody, and you got to respect me, but that's arrogance. But God is the one who says these profound things about us. It's not me saying it, I'm reading it. And the question is, can you believe it? Can you really believe this information that's being said about you? That's the challenge on us. That's where, like Abraham, against hope, against everything that he ever thought, believed God anyway. He believed him. And so he became the father of all who believe. That's how he became the father, because he understood that it was, wasn't about his power and his limitations. It was about God and what God said he was going to do in him. He finally believed that. He didn't believe it all the way at first. He believed God was going to do it, but he figured he would do it through human means. But when human means ran out, Abraham doubted that that could happen that way and he just didn't understand how God was going to do what he was going to do wow we see the humanness of Abraham there don't we yeah he's just like us isn't he that's what that's a, what's amazing he's just like us floundering unbelief doubting all those things are true of Abraham as well Okay, so let's finish this. Uh, we, we just got a few points to make. So last part of it, none has been lost except the one. Wait a minute, did I miss one? Yeah. So point E in point 3E, it says the name you gave me, right? So by that name you gave me is the phrase. I have given them the glory you gave me. See, but why is he saying, why am I quoting this verse? Is because the glory that was given to Christ is the glory that he was able to accomplish through the working of bringing many sons into glory. So Christ says in verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And that settles it. That says that what does the glory mean? What, why do we have such glory? Because the, the Father's plan is accomplished. Now, one, of the, one thought is, is the Father's plan is one thing. The fact that, you know, it's executed, how he does it, all of those details are very important to understanding the Father's plan. But we're not at the implications of the Father's plan. That's a whole nother thought. What does all that mean for us? What, what does God really want in the end? And what is going on here with this glory? Like they're receiving glory because of the completion of the plan. But now the completion of the plan says what? What does it say? Does it say now who we are? 
in Christ and what what does that mean in our eternal role who have we become as a result of all of this and because ultimately that is the goal of the plan the plan is not look you can have a plan that I'm gonna purchase a car you know and you can go into all the detail how you're gonna save and you know what you're gonna put aside every month and and eventually what car you want and all of that but then you know, at some point you'd be able that maybe that plan comes true and you're finally looking at that car in your driveway. It's yours. So all of that could be a story, but then the story goes on, right? What are you gonna do with that car? How are you gonna enjoy it? Where are you gonna go? What's about that car now? It's a whole lot more that we could have to consider. So, but that's another question. We'll talk about that another time. Point number four, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. We have a few points left. Stay with me. As we know, the disciples survived to Pentecost and beyond. Sometime later, the apostle Paul was added. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11. So, um, so when it says none of them is lost, he's talking about the 11. None of them has been lost. None. So all of the 11 were delivered to Pentecost. And as we pointed out before, Peter's predictions, I'll die for you, were true. If Christ let that happen, Christ couldn't have said that. Because one of them would have been lost. He's talking about physically lost. That's what he means. Lost. So Paul was added... As we said, 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11, we'll just read that really quick. I think we have read this before. He says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. In other words, I'm not, I, I, verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. So Paul is declaring not only his apostleship and how God has blessed him, but, you know, not... This is the same message that the others preach as well. It's not just Paul preaching it, it's others as well preaching the same message. So, so this point B, no one, none of them has been lost. Right? This does not refer to their salvation. It refers to their physical deliverance to the new dispensation where they would be in the foundation. Like I said, if Peter's talking about, I'll die for you, Christ says, no, you won't. Uh -uh. That's not what's the plan for you, Peter. The plan for you is that you endure, that you physically are alive. You have to be protected. I know it's going to be danger for you, but that you physically endure so that uh, the Pente Pentecost can happen and that you are a foundation. You and the other disciples are going to be part of the foundation of the church. Yeah. That's, that's why Peter needed to have deliverance. When he says been lost, he's talking about 
not talking about loss of salvation. Just keep that in mind. Point C, Judas was the one, quote, doomed to destruction. He did not survive. And if we read Matthew 27, 5, it talks about, let me just read it. We might be back there again. So 27, 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he, he threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. So the priest took that money, and we're going to find out what they did later. But the point is, no, Judas did not survive to Pentecost. And not only that, even if he did survive, he wasn't a believer. So he would not have been a part of the foundation. He was, Of course, he could have changed his mind and believed, but he didn't. That Judas was not a believer and would not have been part of the foundation. We already know those scriptures in John 6, 70 through 71 that do talk about unequivocally that Judas was not a believer. And, you know, I know there's still going to be people who are saying, ha ha, Judas was a believer and he was saved and then he was lost. They do this in the face of many scriptures that clearly say Judas was not a believer. Point D again, this is where we are. So, uh, doomed to destruction. What does that mean? Judas's actions would lead him to despair, remorse, and destruction. So, there's a couple thoughts in this uh, I just wanted to bring out to you. So, Matthew 27 is where we are. We're going to read 3 through, I believe, 10. So when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called field of blood to this day. Then it was spoken by that. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used it to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. So there you have the story of what did happen to Judas. Since we are talking about Judas being doomed to destruction. It refers to his physical death, but we know that it also refers to the fact that he was not a believer in Christ. And that is the important point to make. So I, I say compare that with Acts 1.18. What do we do? Go there in Acts 1.18 says this. So Peter, as you know, this is he he was speaking to the brothers and he said, with with payment, well, let's, let's go back, verse 16. 
He said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. This was a terrible scene. Obviously, uh, Judas was, uh, you know, it talks about he tried to hang himself, but obviously the rope must have broken, he must have fell. So we, we gather that. Uh, and it talks about the field of blood as well in verse 19. So I said compare those two because the, and on the one hand, in Matthew 27, it says Judas bought the field. Uh, no, it says that the chief priests and the, they said this money can't go in. Because Judas threw the money down. They said this money can't go into the treasury because... Um, it was blood money. But in Acts 1.18, it says Judas bought the field. So bottom line is, some people are saying, I'm just pointing this out, that this is a contradiction in the Bible. Did Judas buy it or did the chief priests buy it? Well, it is what Matthew says, and it both are true. The chief priests and Pharisees bought it in Judas's name. They did not take the money from Judas, but they bought it in his name. They said it can't go into the treasury, but they they used it to buy a, a burial ground for foreigners. So it is not a contradiction of scriptures. It is uh, just an enhancement of what actually did happen. Because Judas didn't throw the money on in the temple and then decide, well, you know, I'll buy this field of blood and then, <clears throat> and then he went out and hanged himself. No, that, that's not what happened. What happened was he threw the money down. They did something with the money in Judas's name. They could not take the money from Judas. It was Judas's money. Even though he threw, the, threw it down and didn't want it, they didn't take it. So whose money was it? It was Judas's money still. And they bought something uh, that they felt would not violate what their law said. Okay, so as I said, just wanted to compare that so people would see it and not wonder about it. Point E, scripture would be fulfilled. So what, what Judas is seen in prophecy as the betrayer. So a couple of times in our, our verse right here, it says, uh, one doomed to destruction so that the scripture will be fulfilled. How is that? Where is that? Psalm, where are they referring to? Psalm 41 and nine. Let's look at it real quick. Let's see what it says here. Psalm 41 and nine. He says, it says, <clears throat> and this, if you can read really around this, you'll see, you'll get the flavor of what it's saying. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. So you said, well, that doesn't sound this is David talking about his enemies, but really in prophecy, it referred to Judas as well. So John 41, 9. Now, how do we get that? Jesus says it. Uh, John 13, 18 through 19. Let's look at that. John 13, 
18 through 19, Jesus says, he says, I am not referring, well, first of all, he says uh, in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then in verse 18, he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. So now we know for sure it's Psalm 41, 9. Because Jesus <clears throat> quotes John 41, 9, <clears throat> excuse me, in this context. He who shared his bread, shared my bread, has turned against me. It's a quote from that. <clears throat> 19, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. All of these points of resonation that they would get as they go along, and they say, oh yeah, that's just like Christ said. Oh yeah, that, that there is just like Christ said. What happened? Judas did betray him. That's, he is the betrayer. And then Acts 1, 15 through 17, we already read that one, <clears throat> which is more evidence of the fact that this is... Uh, Exactly. So in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Uh, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called this the field of language. And I'm going to just say that is the field of blood. So, <clears throat> there you have it. The scripture will be fulfilled. That's what is referenced here in our verse, where it says, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Our last point here. Judas was not forced to do what he did in the betrayal. It was his own decision to betray Jesus for a price. God knew in advance what role he would play to get Jesus to the cross where our sins were judged. We're going to have to quit. We'll continue next week. We'll continue with verse 13. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the time you've given us. Thank you for the patience that uh, others have shown here. Father, I know this has gone longer than expected, but we thank you so much for that at least we were able to complete our thought. And we, we pray, Father, for as we read these scriptures that we'll be challenged by what the scriptures say and challenged to believe you put our faith, our trust in you. We, we thank you for this group that we have. We thank you for Word is Truth Christian Church, and we thank you for uh, the calling that we have received, which is precious to us. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.